I hope you're, many of you are attempting to read through the New Testament uh, this year. Um, one of the things, when you get into the doldrums in your reading and you're not sure what you should read or you get stopped, uh, I'd always recommend going back to one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You can't go wrong when you're focused on Jesus and the Gospels focus on his life. And we're studying the Gospel of Mark right now, and so every week we're focused on the life of Jesus Christ. Charlie Franks raised an elephant named uh, Nita from birth. As a professional elephant trainer, Charlie traveled the world entertaining crowds with Nita's circus performances for over 20 years. After 25 years together, Charlie needed to retire, and he had to figure out what to do with Nita, and so he donated Nita to the San, San Diego Zoo in 1974, where she had a very comfortable home. Almost 15 years later, in 1988, Charlie and Nita had a reunion. They hadn't seen each other for almost 15 years, and a local TV, San Diego TV station decided to document this occasion. Charlie spotted Nita about 150 yards away, standing with other elephants. Charlie called to her by name and continued to talk in his familiar voice. Immediately, she left her elephant friends and came back to her master. There, while being filmed, Nita just went through her normal routine of circus performance acts as if they had rehearsed yesterday, and yet they hadn't seen each other for 15 years. Humans don't do as well as animals do with voice recognition. Humans seem to do even more poorly with recognizing the voice of God. However, humans can learn to listen to the voice of God, just as they learn to recognize the color of red and its various shades, and they learn to distinguish red from blue and yellow. Perhaps you've learned to do that already. If you can do that, maybe you can learn to listen to the voice of God. We learn to recognize God's voice uh, over our lifetime experiences. We learn especially to learn to hear the voice of God through His Word. We learn through prayer. We learn through the leading and guiding and convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. We learn over time. We learn from others. Today, we learn from God's Word. So I invite you to be with me in uh, Mark chapter 9, uh, at the beginning of the chapter. And you have a, an outline in your program. I encourage you to follow along. And we begin uh, in verse 2 this morning, the sign of things to come. The sign of things to come. The sign of things to come, right? There we go. Things to come. Uh, let me just comment about a sign. I want you to think in terms of sort of a technical de definition of a sign. A sign is a supernatural event with the purpose of authenticating the message and or the messenger. A sign was a supernatural event, a miracle. Miracles always had a purpose. They weren't done randomly. There was a purpose, and it was to authenticate the message, the person speaking for God, and the person who was speaking for God. So this is a sign of things to come. Situation, verse 2. 
After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. After six days, Mark begins, after six days, back to what? Well, go back to six days ago at Caesarea Philippi. That's where we were last week and then back in May. This is where Peter acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ. And so um, let me just, and you can look if you're in Mark chapter uh, 9, look back at chapter 8 and look at verse uh, 27. And here's what happened. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And so this is really a high point in the book. And this is a turning point in the book. 16 chapters in the book of Mark. We're halfway. And now the book is going to take a major turn. And we saw that last week. Because after six days, if you go on uh, in verse 31 in chapter 8, he then, this is right after, right after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Nobody saw that coming. Now, we look back and we know about this this is the first time it's been said publicly, clearly. This is not, there's no metaphor here. This is just black and white. And Jesus says it as it is. He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed, and he's going to rise again on the third day. And, you know, this is hard for the disciples to take. In fact, Peter tries to kind of throw it off. Jesus, remember that? Uh, Peter tried to correct Jesus for saying this. You know, Messiahs don't die. Jesus, get your act together. He didn't, that's not a quote. That's a paraphrase. And uh, so this is what's going on after six days. In uh, chapter 8, verse 39, and this, is, this background is really important. If you don't get this, you don't get the passage today, okay? This whole part that I'm recording here. Then we go to uh, verse 38. Chapter 8, verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory with the holy angels. And so Jesus is making a reference to his coming again. He's going to come in glory. He's going to come with his angels. He's the son of man. And we look back at Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, and recognize this is the passage that speaks of God in his glory. And Jesus is making a reference about himself with the Daniel 7 passage. And then he says in chapter 9, verse 1, which is going to bring us up to today, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here, in Caesarea Philippi, the disciples will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Which brings us right to our passage. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up the mountain where they were all alone. Um, so Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Why them? Because he picked them. And he picked them on other occasions. 
And Peter, James, and John seem to emerge as leaders among leaders. Jesus spent a little more time, gave them a little more instruction, and he gave this amazing experience that's going to carry them into the future. It's gonna, he's gonna, they're going to instruct the other disciples. They're going to instruct the church, and this is going to last them for a lifetime for the experience they get on this day. Jesus led them up to a high mountain. We don't know what mountain it is. Uh, many think it's Mount Hermon. It makes a lot of sense, and we want to see that on the map. Got to have a map. So you see Jerusalem on the south. That's the major city. We see the Sea of Galilee, and we've been up there. See how small that is, the Sea of Galilee? It looks like it's just a tiny lake in the world. And this is where Jesus spent his life. It's where he, where he crisscrossed in, in, the, in the boat with fishermen, and he was on the north shore at, the, at Capernaum. And Caesarea Philippi is a few miles north. Now see where Mount Hermon is? Twelve miles uh, northwest. Okay, so it's not far, but that's where they were. It's a high mountain for this uh, piece of geography. And then in verse 2, we see the glorious glimpse. Uh, there he, that is Jesus, was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. It says that Jesus was transfigured. What does that mean? It means that he was, like, changed totally. Um, it just wasn't, he just didn't get this outer glow. He was changed through and through. Uh, it was a supernatural change. And this, my friends, was the sign. It's going to be lasting here. It was a supernatural event to authenticate the message and the one who was speaking it, the messenger. Um, his cl clothing also changed. It became dazzling white. It was a blinding white. Um, what is happening? Jesus is showing three of his disciples um, who he really is. He's giving them a glimpse, a glimpse of glory, a glimpse of what Jesus is really like. It's a it's a picture of the king in an eternal kingdom. It's a glimpse. And Jesus, uh, remember Jesus came from heaven and, and the son of God came to this earth and he was born um, with the virgin Mary, his mother. And Jesus, the son of God, took on flesh. He took on humanity. He was born as an infant and he chose to limit himself to a human body. Now, you know, he, he could have at any time stood up and says, hold on, I'm the son of God. He, but he chose to limit himself within that body. So right now, just for an instant, Jesus is going to let three of his disciples see him the way he really is without the body. I mean, he's still got the body, but they're going to see what happens when you take the veil away. Because his body was a veil that covered him. And the covering's removed just for a few minutes here, so the disciples can see this. And they're seeing what Jesus is like when he comes in his glory in Revelation chapter 19, when he comes the second coming, when he comes to bring judgment, when he comes to establish his kingdom on earth. And so they just get this glimpse. And then verse 4, we see something really unusual, very unique, the company with him. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. 
So we have two biblical characters from the Old Testament appear with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Now, this is strange because Moses lived in the 15th century before Christ, okay? Elijah lived in the 9th century before Christ. They're 600 years apart, and here they show up with Jesus. This is strange. Um, Both Moses, and here's something. This is why you need to know the scriptures. Both Moses and Elijah had their own mountaintop experiences with God on the top of the same mountain. It was Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb. And they both had mountaintop experiences with God. God spoke to both of them. And not only that, he appeared to them in a cloud. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. Uh, Both Moses and Elijah uh, also departed this earth with special circumstances. It wasn't a normal way to go. Moses went in mystery and... um, Elijah was sort of translated like a pre-rapture rapture rapture, uh, on his way to heaven without experiencing death. Luke adds in chapter 9, verse 31, that Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about his coming departure. They had unusual departures. Now they're talking to Jesus about his unusual departure. Jesus has an exit strategy here, and they're starting to talk about it. And the disciples are clueless. Moses was the lawgiver Elijah was the prophet. They stand here with Jesus representing the law and the prophets, which is a summary of all of the Old Testament. So uh, that's a a sign of things to come. It's going to continue to develop here, but we want to go on in verses 5 through 8 and talk about the sign of the clueless disciple because there's a sharp contrast here as what's going on. And I've just called it worldly wisdom. It's common sense. It's trying to do things without God. Uh, Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi... It is good for us to be here. And uh, Peter doesn't know what to say. And so he says the first thing that comes to his mind. And it's not really brilliant. First of all, it was Peter who six days ago said, you are the Christ. That means you're the promised one. You're the holy one. uh, You're the king. uh, You're the great one. You're going to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And he says, rabbi, which means teacher. It's like all of a sudden he's forgot who Jesus is. And he says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Wouldn't that be nice? Let's celebrate this moment. And we're not sure what Peter was talking about. He could have been talking about the feast of the booths in the Old Testament where God's people were to uh, once a week sort of have a camping trip go outside of the city, and they were to build a temporary shelter out of branches, and it was to remind them of God leading them through the wilderness and providing for them, and they were to remember that. I'm not sure how Peter wants to bring that in here, but he doesn't think it through. He says sort of, let's just stop. Let's stop everything, and let's just hold this moment, this experience. Let's just keep it. And... um, Not only that, what does he do? He brings Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. So what what is he doing? He's bringing Jesus down to their level. That's not what Jesus has been communicating. But here, Jesus is standing with Moses and Elijah, and they are conferring together. Um.
Verses 7 and 8, uh, we have some heavenly wisdom. Poor Peter is trying uh, hard, but some of you know that Peter is often called the foot-in-mouth disciple. He often um, speaks and then he thinks. That's, that's dangerous. And um, he doesn't grasp what's happening here. But Peter wants, he wants to be a, a leader. He wants to have that first word. He wants to beat the other disciples. And he just blurts it out. Here comes the heavenly wisdom, verses 7. This is so heavenly, God himself is going to speak. Look at verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. This is that mountaintop experience. The cloud came down with Moses. The cloud came down with Elijah. And now it comes on this event. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This is who speak, who, who is the voice speaking to? Just three disciples. There's a hand-picked time in history where God comes down to speak to just three people, Peter, James, and John. He doesn't need to speak for Jesus. He doesn't need to speak for Moses or Elijah. He comes to speak to Peter, James, and John. This is my son. I think this experience here on this mountaintop authenticates that he's the one and his message should be paid attention to. Pay attention, guys. That's what he's saying. This is my son whom I love. I want you to know, whatever happens, whatever goes forward, I love my son. I'm with my son. You're not going to get it. But the father loves the son. And he has my blessing. That's what the father is saying here. And listen to him. You're not paying attention, guys. He said it already. You're not getting it. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone them, anyone with them except Jesus. Now, all they got is Jesus. Will that be enough? They've lost Moses and Elijah. But they're not the great ones, are they? Let me just uh, go back and show you Exodus 16.10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. I just wanted to see that. This is Moses. Next passage, Exodus 19.9, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord uh, what the people had said. And I, I just want, that's the mountaintop experience on Mount Sinai. God came and spoke in a cloud. And that's what he's just done with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Um, so, The transfiguration is over. The sign has appeared. God has authenticated his message and his messenger. And now they just have Jesus. Just Jesus. Will that be enough? Verses 9 through 13, we have the sign of the times. Verse 9, this is the instruction. Um, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they've been on the mountain, now they're coming down, and Jesus says, don't tell anyone until after the resurrection. And they're just totally confused now. Um, This time, Jesus will set limits. This is the last time. How many times did he do a miracle and he said, don't tell anyone? Because what was happening in Jesus' ministry was he would do a miracle and then the crowds would follow him. And we, we saw that in the first seven chapters. They just followed him all over Galilee. 
And he'd cross the river and, or cross the lake, and they'd go there. And he'd go to this city, and they'd go there. And it was uh, Jesus had become like a rock star, and, and uh, people just wanted to be around him. They wanted to touch him. They wanted to see him do miracles. There weren't a lot of them who were serious about following, but they loved being impressed. And Jesus wasn't about to get a, a kingdom forced on him by people who didn't get it. And so Jesus is carefully revealing the plan. And the plan now is to go to Jerusalem and to suffer and die and be rejected, and there will be a resurrection on the third day. He's been telling his disciples, and they're not getting it. The discussion happens, uh, by the way. So he says, I don't want you to tell anybody until when. He sets limits on this until when? After the resurrection. Then what? You tell everybody. Because after the resurrection, you're going to understand. After the resurrection, this is all going to make sense. And then you tell people. You tell people then. Make it clear. Discussion, verse 10. They kept the matter to themselves discussing what rising from the dead meant. So this is kind of proof that the disciples are still clueless. They understand this general concept in the, in the Old Testament. It's, I think it's around Daniel 11 or 12, where there is going to be a resurrection of the dead. And the Old Testament saints understood that. There is going to be a, a general resurrection. They, they don't have a lot of information about that. A whole lot more is revealed in the New Testament. They didn't have it in the Old Testament. They understand this general re, uh, resurrection. Jesus has clearly told them that he would rise from the dead in three days. They haven't gotten it yet. Uh, he just announced that he'd be, uh, he would suffer, he'd be rejected, he'd be killed, and, and he would rise from the dead. Peter scolded him, saying, this doesn't happen to the Messiah. It did not fit with their theology of Messiah. Messiah cannot die. Messiah is a great deliverer. He's a rescuer. He's a great king. How can this happen? Verse 11 and they ask him this question. Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Now, they don't even have the courage to ask them the question that they're asking. Um, what does this rising from the dead mean? They don't have the courage. What they, so they ask him another question. They don't want to like look foolish, and so they ask him another question, which is a good question. Why do the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? You see, they just kind of skirted from one question to the other. And it's a good question. They ask about Elijah. Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? The explanation is verse 12 and 13, and we're coming down to the last uh, section of this passage. Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. So Jesus confirms the order. Elijah comes first. The problem is, what does it mean that he will restore all things? That's a hard one. I, I can say I'm not absolutely sure. Um, there's good opinions about this. What does it mean that he will restore all things? And then Jesus says, now Jesus is going to change. They've asked this question about Elijah. Now Jesus is going to change the question. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? They haven't asked that question. That's what he taught them six days earlier. This was new. The suffering Messiah they haven't heard, they don't get, they don't understand why he would die. They don't understand why he would be rejected. Verse 13, But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it is written about him. So 
Jesus acknowledges that Elijah has already come. Now, stay with me here a little bit, because Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament that, that lived in the ninth century before Christ. His story is around 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. That's Elijah. He's already gone to heaven, but he has appeared on the mountain with Jesus in a supernatural event. Okay? I hope you remember something about Elijah already in the book of Mark. I'll remind you in just a minute. Um, because if you remember, John the Baptist um, had already been put to death, and Jesus made a reference to John the Baptist at his death that relates to Elijah. Let me just go back and read. This, this is not recorded in the book of Mark, but it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. At the same event earlier, um, this is Matthew 11, verses 13 through 15. You may want to jot this one down. Matthew 11, 13 through 15. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, John the Baptist. And if you are willing to accept it, he, John, is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Are you, do you get it, he says? He who has ears, let him hear. Do you hear me, he's saying? And he's saying John had a function of fulfilling the role of Elijah. What was John's ministry? John's ministry was to prepare the way for the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Malachi, verses 3 and 1. There would be one, a messenger, who would prepare the way for Jesus. What did he do? He preached and said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because the king is near. And, and, God's, and the people of Israel were called out into the wilderness, and they were told, turn back to God. Turn away from your sin and turn back to God. And those who did were baptized with the baptism of John. So you remember that? Then what happened? Well, we've already in the book of Mark seen that Herodias didn't like John, and John got thrown in jail, and John got beheaded because Herodias didn't like him. John, the Baptist, is dead, okay? Jesus said Elijah has already come in the ministry of John the Baptist, and they did what they wanted to to him. They took his life. Now, here's something that's really unique about this whole thing. John came to prepare the way for Jesus. What, what, what Jesus is now acknowledging is that part of that preparation, preparing the way, was the way of suffering because John suffered on the way and Jesus now was on the way to suffering. And it's been prepared by what, how John tracked through all of this. John was the Elijah to come. He did his part, and they killed him. So now Jesus must suffer before the kingdom of God is established on earth. The transfiguration was a sign of the future glory. God will not leave the Messiah at, at death. So and this is a complicated story here. When the father said, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. He was saying, 
Messiah is on the way to suffer. I love him. His kingdom is going to be established. Just listen. Just pay attention and follow. So, um, have a few lessons. Actually, five lessons uh, from uh, our passage this morning that are pretty simple, but hopefully helpful and practical. Number one, think before you speak. Number one, think before you speak. Um, Peter often spoke too quickly. Sometimes we speak without thinking, and this is just a reminder. James 1.19 tells us, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's just a, an easy reminder. Be careful about your speech. Think first. Reflect. Is it God-honoring? Think first. Are you talking about truth? Think before you speak. Secondly, keep growing in your knowledge of Scripture. Keep growing in your knowledge of Scripture. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Uh, as you can see from our passage this morning, it's important to know God's word. There are some complicated issues. At times, there are passages that are hard to understand, and we can just acknowledge that. We're not going to know everything before we get to heaven. The amazing thing is, is how much we can know, how much is plain in Scripture uh, that God wants us to know. And it's about uh, investing time to know God's Word for yourself. I don't think you need me to tell you what God's Word says. I can help you but you don't need me to explain everything in God's word because you can understand it and God intends for you to understand it and he's given you the Holy Spirit to guide you in understanding. What we need to do is just be, to continue to invest our lives into understanding. It means reading it. It means studying it. It means talking about it. It means learning from others. And yes, there is a value to the teaching of the Word of God on Sunday morning. But I just want to encourage you to keep growing. It's a lifetime process. You don't have to know everything. If you know everything this year, you're in trouble because the rest of life is going to be difficult because everything you learn this year is not going to answer all the problems of life. Um, I love the scriptures, God's word, it's living and active. It's not, it's not dead, it's not dusty old history, it's alive, it's spiritually alive. And it nourishes your soul spiritually, it feeds your soul, uh, it strengthens you. So keep growing, keep reading, keep studying. Thirdly, reflect on what God is doing in your life. Reflect on what God is doing in your life. You know, the disciples had a busy schedule following Jesus. You, you probably have a busy schedule. Uh, they needed from time to time to get away and to reflect and to think and think big picture. What is God doing? What has God already done? And you can see they are not, uh, you know, with the words of Peter here today, they're not getting some of the things that, that Jesus has just spoken to them clearly. And uh, they're going to need more time to reflect. 
And they're going to do a lot of looking back after the resurrection. We don't have that excuse, by the way, because we're on this side of the resurrection and we already have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God. We have the total package. That's why we need to keep growing in our knowledge of Scripture. But take time to reflect. Um, Peter will reflect later. Peter will get, gain a sense of some of these events. And uh, 2 Peter uh, 1, 16 through 18 says, this is Peter later. This is Peter when he got smarter. This is Peter after he reflected. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's an important thing. G, uh, Mark, Peter, in the Gospel of Mark, James and John, they were eyewitnesses. They gave eyewitness accounts of these things. They saw it with their own eyes. They heard the voice of God. They, they understood uh, the words of Jesus later. Verse 17, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Next slide. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. That's a transfiguration. And Peter reflected later, and he got it. And that made a big impact on him, uh, what the meaning of this was, and, and the hearing the voice of God and learning to listen to Jesus. Number four. Recognize that someone close to you could misdirect you from doing God's will. This one may surprise you. It's kind of a carryover from last week. Recognize that someone close to you could misdirect you from doing God's will. You know, even after the passage we looked at last week, Peter wants to stop on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he wants to build three booths to, to memorialize Jesus Moses, and Elijah. That was not the track Jesus was on, you know, to start a new holiday. And um, he sort of wants Jesus to quit thinking about going to the cross. That's where Je Jesus is trying to bring this message clear, and, and uh, Peter is, is trying to um, come up with his own plan. And just go back to Mark 8, 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is when uh, Peter scolded Jesus, rebuked him about going to the cross. You know, messiahs don't die. And Peter, a good man, a good person, was trying to sidetrack Jesus. And, you know, that can happen to us as well. Sometimes good people may try to distract you from doing God's will. Your parents might do it. Your spouse might do it. Your friends might do it. Even your kids might try to distract you from doing what you know God wants you to do. So, recognize that someone close to you could misdirect you from doing God's will. Number five, last one. Be careful to listen to God and follow his instructions kind of said this already, but let's just make it clear. Be careful to listen to God and follow his instructions. 
And this is from Mark 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 7. Uh, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice from the Lord, cloud, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And this is for us, listen to, listen to God, listen to the voice of God, listen to what Jesus instructs us to do. Um, the disciples were good people, but they missed the obvious. Jesus explained it, and they missed it. Um, John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And there again, it's just about following Jesus. It's about doing what Jesus said. He's given instructions. He's given us many instructions. And in fact, it applies to all of the New Testament uh, because he is God and it is God's word. But he's given us instructions and we should hold to his teachings. And if we are, we're really truly his disciples and we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. So uh, does this make sense? Do you hear it? Do you get it? Do you follow? Do you obey? John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. I hear a lot of people say they love Jesus, and yet they don't always follow. Um, many people say they love Jesus and ignore him. Um, they ignore him about forgiving others. They ignore him about loving others. They ignore him about respecting authorities. They ignore him uh, with their speech. They ignore God by not giving generously. They ignore God by not being kind or gentle. They ignore God by not uh, honoring sexuality and pursuing purity. So here's what the passage is about this morning. Uh, there was a sign. It was a sign to authenticate Jesus. It was a transfiguration. Disciples didn't get it. And then a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then there was a, a sign of the times. And the sign leads to Jesus going to Jerusalem to suffer and that's where we're headed in the book of Mark. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I thank you uh, for the simple story in Mark chapter 9 that illustrates a miraculous event when Jesus revealed his glory uh, to his disciples, to his followers. May we learn from this, Father. May we learn to listen. May we learn to obey. May we value your word and seek to study it and to grow in it and to apply it. For Jesus' sake, amen.